believe it or not. Believe it or not, incomparable, inimitable, illimitable, inestimable, introducer of immeasurable, incalculable, incredible impossibility. Welcome to Ripley's Believe It or Not cast, the podcast that brings you deep into the strange, the bizarre, and the unusual. I'm Ryan Clark. And I'm Brent Donaldson. So, Ryan, do you remember last week when we said that this episode was going to feature our interview with an exorcist? I do. Well, we've had a change of plans. Do you want to tell folks what happened? Well, basically, we were able to snag an interview with a major Hollywood star. Mm -hmm. You know how the travel channels brought back the Ripley's Believe It or Not TV show? While the host is a pretty big name, he played Ash in Army of Darkness, the Evil Dead films, and the TV show, uh, while also starring in other shows like Burn Notice and Lodge 49. Yep, he's been finally called B-Movie Bruce, The Chin, and the best headshot in the business. He's the legendary Bruce Campbell. Bruce was nice enough to tell us about his own Believe It or Not moment, what it's like to walk into that famous Ripley's warehouse, and he even played a little bit of Ripley's trivia with us. And a funny thing happened during the trivia portion, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, To anyone listening, see if you can guess what happened. A, Bruce Campbell hung up on us on purpose. B, we hung up on Bruce Campbell on accident. C, Ryan and I got some of our own answers wrong D, the recording level on my mic was too hot, or E, both C and D. So let's find out. To begin our interview, we asked Bruce if he'd ever seen or experienced anything in his life that he later questioned whether it really happened or not. Uh, Yeah, very recently, as a matter of fact. Okay. Uh, In this case, it was paranormal. All right. Do you accept that as an example? Yes. Definitely do. Yes, of course. Please. Uh, I was doing a, a phone interview, not dissimilar to this, uh, pacing in my in the room of my house in southern Oregon, uh, looking south at the mountains. And there's uh, it's government land, so there's no one who lives there. There's no lights on the mountain, as they say. And I'm very familiar with all the flight paths of jets and whatever. I know when they're going to L.A., San Fran the times of day, it's very particular. I know the height of jets, I know the speed, I know the look of their their contrail. So I'm talking and it's near dusk and I'm jibber jabbing on the phone and I look out at the horizon looking south and behind the mountains a warbly light rises up. Warbly meaning like somebody's got a lighter in front of it, creating that. They use it, uh, it's a heat bar effect they use for movies in the desert. Makes it look all distorted. So it wasn't flashing lights, it wasn't multicolored lights, it was a white light moving up from behind the mountains and moving at me kind of the speed of a helicopter, where you can't really tell that it's moving, but it's not staying stationary growing very slightly larger. And I'm like, okay, I start to look at it. And then behind me, in the foyer of the house, one light goes and it dims down to half, half. And then it goes and goes back up full. I, before I can react, the other light 
and the opposite side of the foyer, these are on two separate switches, goes bzzz, and it buzzes down to like a brownout, like half down, then goes back up. I go, that's weird. Turn back around to where the light was, boom, light's gone. So there's no dramatic exit, no flash or flash of light or whatever. I really got the impression that that thing was messing with me, that it was like, let's just see what this weird primitive light thing. Oh, look, I'll just dim this here and I'll dim that there. Because if it was the entire house, all the lights would have dimmed. If it was a power surge uh, or all the lights would have gone out at the same time. These were two individually controlled lights that happened pretty much at the same time when this thing existed in front of my eyes. I couldn't identify it as anything in particular. But then after it disappeared, there was no more disturbances with the lights before or since. So that happened about, I don't know, a month ago. That's a cool story. Yeah, that was way... I felt like I was being messed with. Someone, some, something was looking at me very specifically and just because there's nothing south of me. You got to go two, two hours to like Wairica, California. And north of me, there's nothing until you get to like Roseburg, Oregon. So there's really, if you were a UFO wanted to dick around over some mountains and mess with people, this would be a pretty good spot because people <laughs> wouldn't know what it is. There's always things flying around. Wow. That's, that's way better than my story. My story uh, is I was maybe five years old, and I have a memory of a guy in a gorilla, uh, gorilla suit coming into my bedroom um, and just standing in the doorway. And I, I, I don't know if that happened or not. I like, Are you serious? Yeah. Well, I think you need to. You may need to do some post-traumatic therapy about your uncle. I don't know. Maybe there's something, some story here that hasn't uh, been told. I got to figure that out. Um, okay, so uh, you are the host of the new Ripley's Believe It or Not TV show. Um, were you a fan of the show back maybe in the Jack Palance days, or did you read any of the books or comics? What's your history with Ripley? I watched every version of the Jack Palance and uh, some of the Dean Kane, and I read the book because we had it on our permanent bookshelf in our living room in our house because it was a cool book full of oddities. So when you were first contacted about this opportunity, like what was your initial reaction, and how did that, how did that first contact happen? Um, that I thought it was a pretty good I thought it was a pretty good fit. Um, the the fans of what I do are pretty interesting characters in and of themselves. And most of the stories that we're telling are pretty pronounced characters doing pronounced things. So I thought it kind of worked. And as a host, you know, I've done a lot of weird things in entertainment and done a lot of... Uh, you know, things that were unrated and a little questionable. So it's not a bad fit. But it, the good news is this story is not about, it's not a creep show. This is a lot more, um, I guess you could say, inspiring. Mm -hmm. uh, so how did you prepare? Like, I, I understand that you've recorded all the episodes um, in this first run anyway. How did you prepare for the job? Did you go back and watch old TV episodes or what did you do? Um, I prepared by doing this for 35 years. One of my first jobs, uh, as a Screen Actors Guild member was doing intros like this for the car companies in Detroit, where there would be a teleprompter with all the words that I say. So I actually got really good at that. 
So I'm kind of just crawling back into the womb of Detroit from 35 years ago. Uh, Bruce, how would you yeah. characterize uh, your experience in in putting together these episodes? I mean, what was the process like uh, uh, on your end? Well, uh, I guess I would say I'm part of the tone that we take. Uh, there are some stories that are hard to watch, so we let people know. Uh, some stories are gross and ridiculous, and I have no problem sort of reacting to some of the stuff that's going on. Uh, some of it's very amusing and entertaining, and some of it's just plain disturbing. I don't know. So we try to maintain respect for our subjects at all times. That was important. Um, and I know how words come out of my mouth, so I was able to work with the writers and mold it into, into words that I could say. So, you know, pretty straightforward stuff. It wasn't like I had to get into character. And did you at ever, like, one, you know, one point just look around and think, I'm in that last scene of Indiana Jones where all of that stuff has been, you know, put in that big warehouse? Did it just have that kind of feeling? Yeah, very much so. Very uh, nondescript warehouse from outside. You drive right past it. But on the inside, yeah, there's lots of uh, pretty crazy stuff going on inside there. Um, I would say that Ripley's has got to be one of the top collectors in the world. You know, you hear Smithsonian and stuff like that for sure. But this one ain't a bad collection. Not at all. Okay, so Bruce Campbell, instead of rehashing questions about your storied career once again, which fans of yours can find anywhere and everywhere, we're going to test your Ripley's knowledge as well as your, let's call it, Ripley's instincts maybe about the strange and bizarre stories right. that, that compose the legendary empire of Ripley's, believe it or not. So we have just two rounds here. Great. Um, a multiple choice round okay. followed by a lightning round of believe it or not questions otherwise known as true or false wow. questions. Yeah. Are you ready? Oh, so ready. Okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. First question. Which of these is not true? A, you're more likely to be killed by a champagne cork than a venomous spider. B, champagne is normally under twice the pressure of the average car tire. Or C, a blind monk named Dom Perignon invented champagne. Uh, I'm going to go with B, because I've seen some people maimed with champagne corks. I bet I'm wrong. The answer is A. Dom hey. did not invent champagne, though he did make significant contributions to the beverage. Uh, he was also not blind, apparently. Is that correct? Right. He he did blind tastings, which has led to this misconception. <laughs> um, I, I can get why you answered B. I, I mean, I know of several light bulbs that have been killed by champagne corks. Um, maybe if you open... Well, perhaps, open uh, perhaps he was blinded by a champagne cork. Yes, we're going with that. We missed that. That is now a fact. All right, question number two. Which of these is not true? A, Iron Age men used hair gel. B, it was common for both men and women to shave their heads in ancient Egypt. Or C, our hair and nails keep growing after we die. Um, I think that one's true, the last one. The last one you mentioned keeps growing a little bit after you croak. What was number two? 
B was it was common for both men and women to shave their heads in ancient Egypt. Uh, let's go. I, I'm going to call that one false because I think there was hair gel back in ancient times. Well, that is true. There was hair gel back in ancient times, but believe it or not, our hair and nails do not continue to grow after we die. Sometimes it just appears this Why way. Why did I hear that for my entire life? Is that an urban myth? That's what I thought too. I did, yeah. I I, I didn't know either. But Ryan, tell him why. I had heard that on a, I would say a dozen occasions over my lifetime. Uh, so apparently, uh, let's see, uh, hair gel was made of vegetable plant oil mixed with resin from pine trees. And uh, let's see, in one case, researchers surmised that men used it to make a sort of pompadour in order to make them look taller. But to get to your point, our hair and nails do not continue to grow after we die. Sometimes it just appears this way as our skin dries and shrinks. So we get smaller. Yes. And... It looks like I see, but you know, here's what kills me about that entire question: Who's around to figure that out? <laughs> we we have our people working on this. People at Ripley's. We'll, <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to get well, back. Well, you're to talking, that. you know, more morticians would comment on that, perhaps. Yeah. Yes, we will try and. But fact how would a mortician explain hanging out with a cadaver long enough to make that notation? It's creepy when you think about it. Yeah, that's that's a pretty it's weird creepy. way of thinking about that. It's a creepy question. <laughs> it's a creepy question. All right, here's a here's a uh, a nice um, uh, simple fun easy question. Which of these is not a berry? A strawberry, B watermelon, C banana. Which is not a berry? Uh, I'm going with watermelon. Man. This banana hangs in a bunch off a tree. That seems berry-ish. I feel bad. So, uh, you round. So the <laughs> so the only one of the choices that has berry in it is the strawberry, which is the one that is not a berry. I'm sorry, Bruce. Got it. Okay, so then it's a fool who named it that. Exactly. Um, Probably a mortician. It should be the red fruit. So strawberries are not berries, but watermelon and bananas are. Uh, I don't know if you a berry is a fruit with seeds on the inside, and there you go. That which makes eggplants a berry. I see. There you go. Oh well, wait, uh, a banana is a seed. Yes, the original banana have seeds on the inside. The Cavendish, which is uh, the popular banana now, has been kind of hybridized uh, uh, to the point where it does not have any seeds. They're basically sterile. Wow, so they used to have seeds. Yes, they did. Next question. Which famous quote is not correct? A. Luke, I am your father. B. Life <laughs> is like a box of chocolates. C. Please, sir, I want some more. Well, now, are we going word perfect here? Yes, not, not the, not the so, invitation. Yeah, thank God. Not based on that. Um, read them in succession quickly one more time, please. One, two, and three. Luke, I am your father. Life was like a box of chocolates. Please, sir, I want some more. And the second one was life is like a box of chocolates, did you life say? Was, 
Life was like a box of chocolates. You said was. That's correct. I'm saying that that quote is incorrect because he mm. says he should say life is a box of chocolates. All right, Bruce, I, I, I think you might be right. <laughs> but according to this paper I have in front of me, you're wrong. <laughs> Vader, Vader well, doesn't say. You say correct. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to have to go back to our sources at Ripley's and get on them about this because I think you're right. I think he says life is like a box of chocolates. The answer that I have... Oh, wait, he, what are you saying? What are you saying I got wrong then? Well, Vader does not say, Luke, I am your father. He says, no, I am your father, which makes it easy to misquote. But, yeah. Wow. I know. This is embarrassing. Because all people know is, I am your father. Right. Yeah, people don't break it down into semantics, but man, I'm pretty sure it's life is like a box of chocolates. Um, okay, so you win on semantics. Fine. Yes. <laughs> we're, so we're giving that to you. Next question. Which animal fact is false? A. Snails never sleep. B. Woodpecker tongues can be over a foot long and wrap around the bird's brain. C. George Washington never knew dinosaurs existed. It's a trick question, but I'm going with George Washington because if I say that no bird has a foot long tongue, you'll go, yeah, there is. So I'm going with George Washington. You are correct. Yes. Uh, all right. Yes, he died in 1799, and science didn't prove the existence of dinosaurs until 1841. Before then, fossilized dinosaur bones were often thought to be to belong to an extinct race of giant humans. Okay. Okay, Bruce. We've moved on from the from the multiple choice. We have one last section, and this is a lightning round. True or false? Question one. True or false? In 1932, a man named Clinton Bloom was swimming at a Brooklyn beach when he found a monogrammed hairbrush, the very same hairbrush he lost in 1918 when his ship was sunk off the coast of France by a German U-boat. True or false? True. Correct. Correct. Uh, yeah, that was just weird enough to be true. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah very good. Question two. That's a good one. Good. True or False. Kees Moliker, director of the Rotterdam Natural History Museum in the Netherlands, witnessed the first ever recorded instance of mallard homosexual necrophilia. Mallard, like sex with ducks when they're dead. Correct. Yes, a live duck. In the... <laughs> um, it's actually true. That's true. Yes. Uh, you want to do this? Yeah. Uh, okay. He got the idea to start his Dead Animal Tales exhibit, which tells the stories of animals dying in odd ways, when he witnessed a duck crash into the glass facade of his museum. The duck died instantly and was then taken advantage of by another duck for about 75 minutes. I'm sorry, Bruce. Next question, true or false? The first published drawing by 12-year-old Charles Schultz, creator of Peanuts, appeared in the syndicated Believe It or Not. True. Yes. Correct. Schultz uh, submitted to Ripley's a picture of his dog Spike, who he described as eating pins, tacks, and razor blades. Spike became the basis for the iconic character Snoopy. All right. Wow. Next question, true or false? Ray Caldwell was pitching in a baseball game in 1919 when he was struck by lightning with one batter to go in the ninth inning. 
he finished the game. True. Correct. Yes. Caldwell got up, dusted himself off, and then struck out the last batter to win the game. So he got struck by lightning. Wow. And then struck out the bat. Very good. Boy, that's a that's a striking tale. After that, he went on strike. Next question: True or false? Phineas Gage survived for twelve years after a three and a half foot long iron rod shot up into his head and through his brain. True. I thought I saw that in the Ripley's book. It is true, and you did see it in the Ripley's book. He was blasting rock for a railroad company. Yeah, very good. An explosion caused the 13-pound rod to shoot up uh, into his face point first, entering at the left lower jaw, continuing through his cheek. The rod shot through his brain, out his skull, and landed 80 feet away. Um, Yeah, he died at the age of 36, (laughs) but uh, that was 12 years after that happened. Everybody said he was really mean, though. Well, at least he made it 12 years. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bruce, we have one more question. True or false? On June 4th, 1923, 35-year-old jockey Frank Hayes won a steeplechase at New York's Belmont Park while he was dead. <laughs> True, because he had a heart attack, fatal heart attack, before the race ended, but he managed somehow miraculously to stay on the horse uh, through the end, so he was a true professional jockey. Oh my god, that is unbelievable! It's like you read our script. That is exactly right. And not only that, I have people at Ripley's, you know. <laughs> you, you know, people. It was the first and only race that he ever won. Oh my god, and he did have a heart attack. He did, he had a heart attack and died. And he made it across the finish line, and they said that he won by a head. Uh, yeah, well, the guy had a lot of heart. Did we all just make the same bad joke? Yeah, we did. Is there anything else? Very interesting. You've earned yourself one cliche question. Oh, (laughs) one cliche question. One one fan geek question. Let me think of a I guess I stumped you guys. (laughs) Look who's stumped now. Um, I want to know a little bit about... Um, your friendship with Sam Raimi. Uh, I know that you guys um, grew up together, um, and I've uh, I've read that he has pulled you in on a lot of projects, and of course you created the the famous uh, Evil Dead series. How often do you keep keep in touch with Sam? What is the status of your friendship today? Uh, we stay in touch. Uh, he was lost for a while there. He had a Spider Man decade, and he was. I only saw him on set pretty much during that decade, and his kids were young. He's got 48 kids. and um, But now I'm starting to see him again because his little brats are older, and uh, I've been getting him up here to Oregon for the first time. So we've been fishing. We've been ziplining, scaring the hell out of ourselves doing that, uh, swimming, you know, uh, good old-time stuff. So uh, it's been great to reconnect with the old bird. I finally got him going to conventions. Really? And he got to go to Dallas recently at the Texas Frightmare, and the look on his face was awesome. He didn't know how many savages were out there. Yeah, I wonder, that, that's kind of what I yeah. I go, Sam, uh, Sam, how you doing? Because his table was right next to mine, and he looks at me, he's like, his eyes were bugging out. He goes, I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, 
welcome to the convention business, baby. Because, you know, <laughs> Sam, he's the movie maker. He doesn't really, he doesn't get out there much. And it was really fun to have him come out and see tattoos on people and all the crazy posters that they've collected. And a lot of filmmakers were there. And, and Sam, actually, he's looked up to by a lot of filmmakers. So it was just great to get him out there. And it's nice to reconnect with the old bird. Actually, I have, I have one more. I'm going to take advantage of this. What is your what is the uh, the weirdest or most interesting cameo role that you've ever done? Cameo role, or you can turn it into role oh, in general. Sure. Cameo role. Wow, that's a good one. Um, the, a role in general. That's even tough. That's even tough because it's it's tough to pick the one that is more special than you know. Any of the others, you're supposed to pick stuff that's all good, right? Yes. In theory. I mean, for me, it's all about at the time. As long as you put that phrase at the head before any movie uh, that I did, you go, at the time, Maniac Cop was perfect. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, at the time, it was perfect. It was the first non-Sam Raimi movie. I was familiar with the work of this guy, Bill Lustig. He was shooting in New York City. It was exciting. Would I do it today? Mm, doubtful. But at the time, it was a great idea. You know, the reason that I asked about cameo roles was because of a role, a cameo. Didn't you play um, uh, a soap opera character in a kind of recent cameo? Uh, well, Fargo, I'm in. Yes. The, uh, the original Fargo. I'm on television in a soap opera and it's going on while the guy's in the backyard putting a leg in a wood chipper and the other guy's watching crappy TV with a very snowy, lousy image. And that's from a real soap opera I did in Detroit that we oh. gave to the Coen brothers to use. Oh, wow. Was that yeah. when you were... Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, I didn't I didn't know about your your history and friendship with the Cohen brothers. Any any chance you could talk about that? Well, Joel Cohen was the assistant editor of Evil Dead. So wow. uh, we remember those guys getting us coffee, you know, and stuff like that. Um, wow. Ethan was a statistical analyst for Macy's. And those guys would come to the editing room and talk to Sam about scripts and stuff like that. And they asked us how we raised money, and we told them we did a Super 8 movie and showed it to investors. And they had a different approach for Blood Simple. They wanted to show a two- to three-minute trailer shot in 35-millimeter like the movie was already done. And so we helped them shoot it uh, in the – a little trivia. In the movie, Dan Hedaya is a guy who's crawling out in the field, and a guy's trying to kill him with a shovel – in uh, Blood Simple. Mm -hmm. So I played that guy in the trailer that they used to raise money for Blood Simple. Am I in the movie? No. I'm in the movie that they used to raise money for the movie. So I wow. froze my ass off in New Jersey for those guys in some random thing. <laughs> and then they wrote our second movie, Crime Wave. Ah, that was some amazing trivia. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, you won't find that on their resume. They'll, they took Crime Wave off, I think. Bruce, you mentioned the. Uh, there you go. You, you mentioned you mentioned the conventions real quick. Is there any yeah. story that you can tell us about 
how crazy these people can be and and whether it was a costume or a an autograph request or, or was there something that just kind of blew you away oh uh, i am associated with horror a lot and so uh people assume that you love horror that you must love it you've done horror movies and you know i never really read those comics i never really watched the horror movies a lot we did a horror movie because we were concerned that our investors would not get all of their money back. So we wanted to do a tried and true genre. So at a convention, there's a woman who came up, a very goth type woman, and she goes, here's some poetry you'll really like. And I was like, okay, cool. So I set it aside. You know, you can't sit there and read it all while someone's waiting. So I checked it out later, and I only got a couple sentences in. It was uh, sort of in, it was sort of torture porn type material. Wow. Wow. And uh, probably the most disturbing uh, images and words uh, I've had a chance to look at. So, yeah, that one got shredded uh, lickety split. I, I was concerned for the shredder. <laughs> wow. Uh, all right. Bruce but Campbell. That's by association. And that's going to happen. That's if you play a tough guy. You're in a bar. Some guy might ask you how tough you are. You know, it's just by association. So it comes with the territory. Well, let it be known that that you don't like torture porn. I, I think that's important for everybody to know. We can't all love No, because that's actually poor filmmaking. That's lazy filmmaking. Putting a guy's <gasps> in a vice for half an hour and poking it with a stick. Look, <laughs> anyone can do that. But, you know, build up to a suspenseful scene that leads to a scare, you know, it takes pacing, skill, redirection, proper framing, proper pacing. The actor has to do a good job. Uh, it's a different type of, that's that's the horror that I respect, the kind that affects you because of your filmmaking abilities, not because it's just this creepy idea. Yeah, and, and then you zoom and, in on yeah. the thing in the vice right at the end after you've done all that. <laughs> Yeah, then you put the d in the device, because then at least you've done it artfully. Artfully. Well, Bruce, uh, thank anything, you. Yeah, so thank you. And we cannot wait, cannot wait to see you uh, yes. in the new debut of the show. I'm going to gather um, all the children in my neighborhood around the TV, and uh, it's going to be a party. So thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> well, I think, I hope you enjoy it. It is actually family friendly, um, there's no rating on it, but you know. Grandma's not going to like a few sequences, and little Billy might get a little squeamish. But yeah, uh, get the whole kids, bring the popcorn, go, baby, go. All right. So buckle up, little Billy. I think you're going to be fine. You'll be fine. Our thanks go out to Bruce Campbell for taking the time, and my apologies go out for my mic settings on that. They were too hot, and I feel so stupid. But clearly, Bruce Campbell doesn't care. He's a triple threat. He's funny, he's smart, and he's super nice. And I think that Ripley's, believe it or not, joining forces with Bruce was nothing short of pure destiny. You know, Brent, it occurs to me. Remember back to that champagne question we had Bruce answer? Yeah, I, I do. Well, it turns out I was wrong. Mm -hmm. Yes, you were. The correct answer is that a blind monk named Don Perignon did not invent champagne. Sorry, Bruce. But hey... Sometimes we all get things wrong, don't we? Yes, sometimes you get things wrong, Ryan, and that's okay. Actually, it's perfect because this is where we usually present the or not portion of the show where we discuss misconceptions about some aspect of the topics we've covered and tell you why you can't always believe what you hear. 
This week, we're going to talk about the Mandela effect, and in the process, tell you about more things that we got wrong during our interview with Bruce. <laughs> How many of you thought we messed up the line in Forrest Gump that goes, life was like a box of chocolates? We hear you. We thought we messed it up, too. But it turns out we didn't. The lead character says, mama always said life was like a box of chocolates, not is, was. And when a lot of people misremember something like that, that's called the Mandela effect. The term was coined by paranormal consultant Fiona Broom. How can we get a job like that, Brent? We kind of have one now, though. Oh, yeah, we do. Uh, she discovered that she had an incorrect memory about South African President Nelson Mandela, that he died in prison sometime in the 1980s. She also went on to find out that many other people shared this same memory, except it isn't true. Mandela went on to be released from prison and lead his country before dying in 2013. Yet another example? Looney Tunes. It's spelled T-U-N-E-S, not T-O-O-N-S, like a lot of people remember. How about those Berenstain Bears books from when you were a kid? That's Berenstain, S-T-A-I-N, not Berenstein, S-T-E-I-N. Why do we remember all these things incorrectly? Well, to some, it's evidence of a parallel universe bleeding into our own or possibly somebody changing the past and then maybe the future. To others, it's an example of just how fragile our memories can be, especially when manipulated by stories or media. Uh, those people say that quite literally our mind is playing tricks on us. Psychologists have a word for this. It's called confabulation. Cognitive scientist Daniel Schachter explains in his work, The Seven Sins of Memory, that our brains simply withhold some facts about a situation when we bring it up in our mind. Because our mind is a fragile thing. It makes us remember incorrectly, even when we know the answer is correct. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. Ripley's Believe It or Not cast is produced by myself, Ryan Clark, and Sabrina Seek. Our executive producer is Amanda Joyner. Thanks go out this week to Gwyn Sound in Cincinnati, where we recorded this episode. For more than 35 years, Gwyn Sound has offered Sonic Identity Works, audio post and studio recording for bands and artists such as CeeLo Green, John Legend, and Ludacris. Check them out at GwynSound.com. That's G-W-Y-N-N-E Sound.com. The Notcast intro theme music was put together by Colton Cruz, and the ending theme song is by the band Wussy. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and tell your friends or leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you have comments, questions, or ideas, email us at notcast at ripleys.com or tweet at ripleys. Be sure to catch the Notcast next week when we promise to bring you our interview with a Catholic priest who has performed exorcisms around the world. We'll walk you through what that process is really like and learn why there are more requests for exorcisms today than ever before. That's all next time on Ripley's Believe It or Not Cast. Well, you sure got me, didn't you? We we might have, if our answers are right. We'll have to see. All right, man. Right, who knows? Maybe we didn't. I don't know.
Thanks, guys. I'll see you around. Be good. Later.